All right, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, today we're going to be talking about biblical spirituality. Now, that's a funny word for us as Seattleites, and when I say spirituality, I don't necessarily mean what the world means by spirituality. I don't necessarily mean uh, Star Wars and the Force, but what I mean is true Christian biblical spirituality, our life lived in Jesus. And really what I mean by that, the reality is, and, and kind of one of the ways we even try and answer this question, if God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, has entered into human history to save us from ourselves. If God made everything good and we broke it and Jesus Christ came and lived the life that I couldn't, living in perfection, perfectly loving God, perfectly loving people, and lived a way that I can't live and did so in my place and then died ultimately the death that I deserve so that I could live. He died so I could live, paying the price for all my sin, washing me clean by His blood. I am completely right before God through the person of Jesus Christ. Not only that, He ascended to heaven where He's interceding on our behalf, on your behalf right now, ruling and reigning as we speak, uh, screaming from the cross, it is finished, it's done, it's over. If He has done it all, then what do I do with the rest of my life? If he did everything, then what do I do with everything else? And, and I think that's the question that Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 gets at, and a question that we often ask here as a community, because that is the, one of the driving questions in our life. If we believe the gospel, that he has paid it all, and he's done it all, and he's made us right with God, then what the heck do I do with everything else that I've got? Because it's certainly, the message of the Bible certainly isn't that we kick up the easy chair and just hit cruise control, right? So we're in Hebrews. And I have to start my timer. We won't have lunch together. Or we won't have lunch. We won't have lunch together, but we won't have lunch if I don't start my timer. Okay, so we're in Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is amazing because Hebrews uh, is a letter written to a people who are falling into uh, dead works. They're falling into ceremony, and they're falling into action, and they're finding their justification in the things that they do. And what's amazing about Hebrews uh, is he doesn't just send them a letter, and he's like, here's ten ways to not have such a uh, dead works kind of lifestyle. He doesn't just say, okay, here's the 10 ways that we balance our checkbook, the 10 ways that we have a better life with our spouse, the 10 ways that we do these things. And he doesn't just give them a list of 10 things to do. Uh, in fact, we're, in a more, we're coming into, in chapter 12 now, a more applicational section, a, a section where he's going to tell us, give us some things to do. But the thing we need to realize in the context of Hebrews, his answer to our sin and our problems and our getting distracted from Jesus is to show us Jesus. The number one way you can help the people that you are in relationship with in Christ, when they come to you with a problem, they say, I have a money problem. I I can't stop spending my money or loving my money or hoarding my money. You don't say, okay, cool. If you're hoarding your money, then you should probably give some of your money away. Because guess what? You can give it away and it doesn't change anything. No, no, no. They need Jesus. They need the generosity of Jesus. Uh, When we're messed up, when we're sideways, we need the reality of who God is in the person of Jesus to right the ship. Yeah, we'll figure out, oh, oh, wait, wait, so I see, oh, wait, so Jesus gave it all for me. Well, then I don't even have to tell you what to do with the rest. It's all Zacchaeus, right? Jesus comes and eats at his house, and then he knows what to do. And that's what Hebrews has been doing. It's been emphasizing again and again and again and again. Remember who Jesus is, guys? Remember what he did? You remember who he is? You remember what he's done? And he's going to continue to do that here as we dig into 12. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so close And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. Now, the context of this, of course, is the preceding chapter, chapter 11. And and chapter 11 showed us again and again and again uh, these heroes, so-called heroes of the faith. Look what Noah did in faith, and look what Abraham did in faith, and look what Sarah uh, did in faith. And if we miss the point of chapter 11, we'll think... Oh, see, Moses had a lot of faith, and so he crossed the Red Sea. And so if I have enough faith, then I can cross the Red Seas in my life, too. Oh, 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 Noah had enough faith to build a container ship in the middle of the desert out of gopher wood. Uh, And if I have faith like Noah, I I can build the container ships out of gopher wood in the desert in my life, too. Now, what we miss when we do that is the point is not them. What is the point of those 
people is to see how God moved in their life, how God parted the seas, how God did miracles in Noah's life. And ultimately, the chapter winds down, as we saw last week, with saying, and all these people who had all these sort of CGI kind of lifestyles, you know what I mean? Like, I think I started last week saying, no one's going to make a movie about our lives, right? Uh, No one's going to make a movie about my life or your life, probably. You might have a more interesting life than I do. But they're not going to make a movie about my life, anyhow. Uh, And yet these guys who are interesting enough that Charlton Heston would make a movie about them all these years later are saying they're looking forward to what we have and what we have is Jesus. What we have is the gospel. What we have the reality that they were only looking forward to, that God himself was going to enter into history and do the Isaiah 53 and bear our transgressions and die in our place and give us life. That God was going to work the Joel 2 miracle of pouring his spirit out on his people and now the Holy Spirit indwells all of us. The Holy Spirit has taken up, God has taken up residence inside of you if you are a Christian. Wherever you go, there he is because the Holy Spirit indwells you, empowers you, and moves in your life not because of anything awesome you've done but everything that Jesus has done on the cross on your behalf and that is the power of the resurrection at work in your life. That's what they were looking forward to. That's what we have. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, Hear what he says. Listen. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is encapsulated in this one little verse. This is what's called sanctification. There are three fancy pants names for the three fancy pants parts of your Christian life. They're not that fancy, but they are awesome. They are pretty awesome. They are pretty fancy, I suppose. Editing myself. I guess it depends on your definition of fancy. Justification, sanctification, glorification. You're justified. Jesus died on the cross to save you from yourself and give you life. And by the way, it's only half of a gospel if you stop saying, if you don't get to, and gave you life. And life in abundance. Right? John 3.16 is just as important as Luke 3.16. He came to baptize in the Holy Spirit. He came to give a life supernatural to the people of God. And we didn't do anything to earn it. It's a gift. It comes from him. Right? That's justified. Glorified is when we are made complete forever with him. When every tear is wiped from every eye and the world is put back the way that it is supposed to be. And that is coming. The day when you worship Jesus face to face with no sin or distraction or self-centeredness, that day is coming. He's already purchased that for us and it's going to be a good day. Now, in between there, the sandwich, we have sanctification. That is our life as Jesus is using the circumstances in our life and his work in the spirit and the power of his word in our life to change us and to make us more like himself, to get the junk out of our way so that we can get more Jesus out of our life. Sanctification. Now, this verse is sanctification. My kids have this little catechism they do, and there's this little song that's running in my head right now that I won't sing, if you're lucky. Um, songs are helpful. Dying to sin, living to righteousness. Kind of sounds like an old, like, I'll stop there. But it's the two parts, right? We're dying to sin and we're living to righteousness. We're dying to sin and we're living to Christ. Okay, so if we only get half this verse, you don't have Christianity. I'm going to say that again because this is important. If you only get half this verse, you don't actually have Christianity. You have something else. So we have to take it apart. We're getting to the second part. We'll start with the first part, the dying to sin part. Okay. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. This laying aside word, if I can nerd out about a word for a minute. This isn't the only place this word appears in your Bible. Uh, And I just kind of want to quickly look at some of the other places we talk about laying Laying it aside. I'm, I'm just going to run to them. Uh, you can write them down or you can go there with me. Uh, but I'm going to go kind of quick. So, um, And I've got them marked. So, Unless you're one of those kids that actually got to do like Bible drills. I don't know. I've only heard about them. Uh, okay, 13 and 11 of Romans. Besides this, you know the time. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And that is true of us. Salvation in its fullness is nearer right now than when I started preaching today. 
It's coming. He is going to wipe. It's not an abstraction that he's going to wipe every tear from every eye. It's not an abstraction. It's the truth. And we are actually closer to that time now than when we started. How about that? For when you just got, when you're at work, I don't know what you do, but you know, you got a client and they're yelling at you and you're just trying to fix the pipes. You're a plumber and, and it's leaking everywhere <laughs> and it's all underwater and you want to love them instead of yell at them back. When you remember who Jesus is and how much he forgave you first and you forgive them back. But in addition to that, you remember this. This is moving the ball forward. He's putting it all back together and there are no leaky pipes in the kingdom of God. Anyways. Uh, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off, same word, the works of darkness and put on the armor of light because this is who you are now because of Jesus. Go with me to, uh, and where do I get that even? I'll show you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, the people outside of the church, in the futility of their minds, which by the way, Ephesians makes very clear who once we all were, just like us. Paul's very compassionate to them. Got to take the whole book in context. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from life, the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and practice, and every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus... To put off, there's the word again, the old self. Our life turning to Jesus is turning from who you once were and your family traits, so to speak. Who you were to who you are. Because I'm not saying that it's necessarily instantaneous miracle and you wake up glorified because I can't prove that from the Bible. But I tell you what, as he is sanctifying you, we turn from sin and we're turned to Christ. We turn from who we once were to who we now are in Jesus. But you need to understand that in Jesus, he has done it for us. That is the safety net of our life in him. He has done it. He has done it all. He has accomplished it for us that we can live this life in him, that we can take off who we once were, who you aren't anymore, and be now who you are. And this is hard for us. How do I know it's hard for us? Because how many times I myself, or maybe you have said, I know God's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Well, guess what? You're not God. When God says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. And God just didn't forgive you from all the stuff you did before you met him. He's in his sovereignty been able to forgive you and pay the price for everything you did before and after he met you. Because sometimes we do this. We set it up on a scale. Well, the beginning, that was his job. The rest is mine. And that's why Paul says to us, of course, did you begin this thing in the spirit? Are you going to finish this thing in the flesh? He, he paid the price for you. Are you going to do it now? No. No. One more. One more place this wonderful... Oh, no. Move on. Oh, wait, there it is. Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, question. Do you know him? Is he yours? If you've been raised with Christ, this is for you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. If you don't know him, today is the day. Meet him, know him, love him, enjoy him, be forgiven be made whole, be made right by the God of the universe who came to save you from yourself. If then you have been raised with Christ, and if you are raised with Christ then, so hear this. Did did you hear what he said? If you've been raised with Christ. I mean, just sit on that one for a minute. But I'm here in this life, and I sin, and I fall short, and I'm weak, and I'm fallen. My life with Jesus, despite how much I screw it up, is secure. Because it's not about me, it's about him. And Paul's going to say this with such confidence. If you've been raised with Christ, that's you. 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. For you have died, past tense, this is you. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ is your life, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore. So it's in a response to what he's already done. This first part of this Christian life, the turning from sin, the repenting from sin, the putting to death, what John Owen will call the mortification of sin, the killing of it all, the getting rid of it, is done in response to the reality that I'm already his. I kill sin in my life because God loves me, not so that God will love me. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I think he means all of those things is worshiping something other than Jesus, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We don't like the word wrath in Seattle. Um, and that's, that's okay, because usually we don't understand it. Wrath is the business end of God's justice. That is that God uh, will settle the score. God will vindicate uh, the righteous. And, and we, we might not like the business end of justice when it's pointed at us, but usually someone's got a, a price, right? Even people who don't believe in things like hell are like, well, yeah, but I think Hitler should go there. Everyone has a price where someone thinks justice needs to go somewhere. Someone needs to be dealt with injustice. The thing about God is that he's perfectly just and he's perfectly loving and he's perfectly made the way out. It's coming. The wrath of God is coming and he's perfectly made out the way out for us in Jesus. He's perfectly opened the door and said, come, come, be saved, be saved. Come, let me pay the price for your sins. Let me die for you in your place. Come, have life and don't take death. Pleading with you, if that's you. Pleading with you. On account of, uh, in these, you too once walked. Ain't that the truth? When you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put them all away. There it is again. Back in 12, Hebrews. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let's get rid of the things that are keeping us from loving God and loving others. That's the aim here. That's the Christian life. I said this last week, I'll say it again, I'll say it a million more times because I don't think I can actually say this enough. Christianity is not, not sinning. Okay? That's not Christianity. The message isn't come, get yourself cleaned up, stop cussing, watching radar movies, and drink decaf coffee with us till Jesus comes back. That's not Christianity. That's not to say that we don't turn from sin. That's not to say that God doesn't take sin seriously. But the reason we take seriously sin in our life is because this next verse here, this next word here, which clings so closely. Sin that clings, this, this word means like to constrict, like a boa constrictor wraps around you and crushes, crushes you so you can't breathe and so you can't live. And then these things cling so closely to us and we want to get rid of them so we can get after Jesus. We want, to, we want to be removed from these things and far from these things so we can follow him and know him. And we want to turn from death so we can live, right? We want to turn from, that's, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? I want to turn from death so I can live. And God's shown us how. And he's made the way for us in his son. He's made the way for us in his life. He's made the way for us by empowering us in his Holy Spirit to follow him. But again, if we only stop here, if we stop here and say, all right, everybody, let's get up and sing. Thank you, good night. Don't sin anymore. Here, I'll give you a list of some stuff to do. Let's not sin anymore. I don't know about you, but I don't feel free. I don't believe Galatians 5.1, it says that for freedom Christ has set me free in that moment. I think I got a bunch of lists of things I have to do and sins I have to deal with and stuff I've got to work out on my own. 
Maybe stuff I have to do so you guys think I'm awesome. Or somebody else thinks you're awesome. The reality is God looks at you through the lens of his son and through his cross and says, this is my son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That, friends, is why we run the race. To get more of Jesus out of the deal. Which, by the way, is a radical different, radically different motivation than not getting lightning bolts thrown at us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, this little word is fancy, like other fancy things. I don't know why fancy. <laughs> One of those days. Okay. Let us run with endurance, fortitude, steadfastness, the capacity to hold up, hold out, bear up in the face of difficulty. This race we're running is in difficulty. You've got the world, the flesh, and the devil on you. You've got you you've got to deal with. You've got the old you you've got to deal with. You've got to deal with your love of money or comfort or objectification or whatever it might be that's in you that's got to die. But then you've got the whole world, right? You've got a phone on, you've got an application on your telephone where you write down what books you want and then Amazon will say, hey, that thing you looked at, we, you get an email. You looked at this thing. You should buy it. You're worth it. You've got to love you first. And you've got the world calling you into self-centeredness. You've got the world calling you to, you're the deal. You're the most important thing. You're what matters. And by the way, you do matter. But what matters most is Jesus. He's got the hairs on your head counted. Right? It's not that you don't matter. But man, when you live life advocating for you, life gets hard. When you live life other-centered, seeing Jesus and then pouring out the love that he's poured out onto you, pouring out onto other people, you see how he's served you and you serve others. That changes everything and you forget about you. You let Jesus take care of you. But the world's calling you into, hey, why don't you try and displace God from his right place in the center of the universe one more time? Amazon. We got the devil. He hates you. He wants you to die. He doesn't care what you do as long as you don't love Jesus. That's all he cares about. He'll give you whatever. I don't know. As long as you don't love Jesus. He hates Jesus and he hates you. And he doesn't want you to love Jesus. But you're a Christian now. Colossians is clear on this. He's got no authority over you. The best he's got are these little stupid darts he flings at you. You've transferred, man. You don't belong to that family anymore. You're in the kingdom of light if you're a Christian. He's got no authority over you, but yet we make these little agreements, right? He beats the drum. We like the rhythm, as someone once said. He gives us an idea, and we say, yeah, that's a good idea. We nod along. We go along with him. You want some power? I'll give you some power. You want some comfort? I'll give you some comfort. You want some condemnation? I'll give you some condemnation. You're these things. You're right. I am those things. Get out of here, devil. You have no authority here anymore. You have no authority here anymore. But difficulty nonetheless as we run that race. Now, where are we running this race to? Or really, in a sense, why and how are we running this race? The next two words are priceless for us. Look, three words. Verse two, looking to Jesus. That's the point of the race. Jesus. How do I run the race? Jesus. This isn't just a Sunday school answer. Why do we run the race? Because I want more Jesus. I want Jesus. I want to be, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I love preaching. If I can't preach the rest of my life and I hear, well, well done, good and faithful servant, praise the Lord. I like being in good health. And if I lose my health and I hear, well done, good and faithful servant, praise the Lord. I love this church. I love doing life with y'all. And if I don't get to do that, but I hear, well done, good and faithful servant, that's all that matters. Nothing else matters more than that reality. Which, of course, we have in Christ. Looking to Jesus, the why, and guess what? He's also the how. He's not just the why, he's the how. You need to see that the gospel, this life we live in Jesus, you being made right with God, wasn't your idea. It was Jesus' idea. And you see the one that's ultimately going to accomplish this thing? 
isn't about you doing spiritual push-ups and white-knuckling your life, but first and foremost that Jesus has accomplished it. And what's our motivation as we run that race? Jesus is our motivation. And by the way, he's also what empowers us to actually do it by the power of his Holy Spirit, which isn't in this text. That piece, all these other things are right here in Hebrews 1 through 4, but I just can't help but also say it. That Jesus is implied, I would say. Yeah, the, the point of your life in Jesus isn't you're strong. It's that we're weak and we need help. If you live your life trying to impress everyone else thinking you're strong, you're going to crash and burn. I'm not strong, I'm weak. i got four kids getting me up at five in the morning. I am weak. Right? But God... God. Okay, so now I have to prove to you what I just said. It's his idea, he's accomplished it, and he's our motivation for it, right? Because I can't just say stuff. You've got to look in your Bible and say, did he? You've got, you got to know your Bible. I can just talk. But if I'm just talking, hey, forget about it. Okay, so now I've got to prove to you what I just said. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Oh, this is a good verse. Uh, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Boom. Memorize that. You don't have to. I'm not telling you. You don't have to do it. Like, don't. He said so. I have to do it. I'm just, as a total excursus now, and I'm running out of time and all those other horrible things. Nothing has been more beneficial in my life, running the race in difficult times. Uh, my wife and I were in the hospital with our first son. We were in the NICU, the Neonatal intensive, intensive Care Unit. If you've ever been there, I'm so sorry. It's the worst. Uh, they moved us rooms. God was gracious, moved us into pediatrics where there's like TVs and stuff, and it was amazing. And my Bible got misplaced in a move. Almost lost it. But my buddy Bill had been encouraging me to memorize the Sermon on the Mount, and I sat there with my wife, and I told her, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You don't, you don't have to memorize scripture. Like, God's going to love you more because you do it. But I'm telling you, when your Bible goes missing and you're needle native intensive care, you'll be glad you memorized this verse. So, there. Looking uh, to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So it's his idea and he's the completer, right? So we could say it another way. Looking to Jesus, the originator which I actually prefer here, the originator and the completer. It was his idea. How do I know it was his idea? I'll show you from somewhere else. If you go with me to Ephesians 2. Uh, Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Your sanctification, your holiness, your growing in Christ's grace and mercy was his idea before this whole thing got started. That we would be blameless. Before the found, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That we, that's you and I, should be holy and blameless before him. I don't know what your week was like. But God looks at you and sees that you're clean because of Jesus. In love he predestined us for adoption. Wait. It's not just that he canceled the deal. It's that we're his kids now. Do you know that? Like, is that something that's down in your bones? That God calls you his kid? You got kids? You know what it means to call a kid your kid? That's the way he feels. He, he built that so you would know what it would be like to be his through the cross. This, this friends, this is biblical spirituality. It's living in the reality of what Christ has already done. You're his kids. He calls you son or daughter. Now, I wish I had chosen Ephesians as my text for the morning because it's good. According to his purposes, to the praise of his glorious grace, that we would glorify him and enjoy him, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, capital B, Jesus, beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. He crushed the beef that we made between him and us. 
mean, that's, that's the power of that business end of God's justice stuff. God is perfectly just, and his solution for his justice, so that cup's not poured out on you, was to come and drink it himself. For the forgiveness of our trespasses. How many of those, by the way? All those that you did before you met him, or all those after? All of them, all of them. All of them, all of them. According to the riches of his grace, because it's a gift. Now, this is one of my favorite little words. I, I keep saying that. I guess it's a good morning for favorite verses. But you hear this. This is your life, okay? Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He's lavished. I live in Greenwood. I don't know that anyone's lavished anything on me ever. But God lavished us with grace and love and mercy because of his son. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan before the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You can read the rest of one this afternoon. You don't have to. Again, you know, I don't make you do anything, but you will be greatly blessed to read the rest that I really don't have time to look at. But hear it, the gospel, that Jesus would come to save sinners from death to life, to make them right, to make them whole, to give them life, was his idea, and it was his idea from a long, 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 long time ago. Not because you got an A on your math test. Not that he looked at you and said, oh, man, that guy can really do some square roots. That guy knows square roots all over the place. If you do square roots, hey, power to the people. Flip over with me to two. How much it's his idea, how much it's his work. And you, that's us, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. That's us. Hey, when you're telling people about who Jesus is, do it with the compassion of someone who knows that apart from his grace, you are in the same spot they were in, and you have been given life, and you have been set free. We don't tell people about him so that people will think, so you can come in here on Sunday, hey, I told somebody, I witnessed to somebody, and, and put, put one up on the board for me, because he came to Christ. We don't do it so that Jesus will love you, because he already does love you. We do it because we've been set free and we got keys to their shackles. Wouldn't you want to set them free? You got the keys to the shackles. They're just sitting there in chains. Now they might, as you pull out that key, they may say, no, thank you. I like my shackles just fine the way they are. But you got the key. among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love, which, I mean, this doesn't even, I don't even have to explain, I'm just going to read it. But God being rich of mercy because the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. <sighs> Wasn't your idea. Dead people in the grave don't have ideas. It's God's idea. It's not, I won't say it, I'll stop there. Wasn't your idea. His idea. Back in Hebrews. That's not where we're at. There we go. <clears throat> Looking to Jesus, the founder 
his idea and perfecter of our faith, the completer. Hear this. This is amazing. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising is a really hard word to get at. Really, really, really hard word to get at. Despising. It's a weird word to get at. Um, Maybe a better one word would be disregarding. Uh, this, this word has the weight of, uh, of to consider something. Not important enough to be an object of concern when evaluated against. You can't put that in one word, though. So Jesus, looking at the cross, looking at Isaiah 53, looking at the world, even in the garden, weeping before his father. There's another way Do we have another way to do this? Do we have another way to set the captives free? Do we have another way to bring you glory from your glorious grace and redemption? Do we have another way? Jesus, fully God, fully human, not Superman. Fully God, fully human. If you miss that, you miss the cross. Takes upon himself the wounds that would make us healed drinks the cup so we don't have to, bears the weight and the burden for us. For everyone who ever lived on his cross. That's dark. It's dark. So he looks at that, compares that to the glory of the redemption of the sons and daughters of God. The glory that his heavenly father is going to receive as the redeemed people enjoy him forever. Uh, The the glory and the grace and the mercy and the gift. And when they go on the scales, it's like the cross disappears. Despising its shame. It's shameful that the only innocent man who ever lived was treated like a criminal. It's shameful that the only one who loved God and loved people perfectly was put on a cross. It's shameful that everyone said that man's a criminal. I think we sang it last week. I don't know if we're singing it this week. So, Chris, if we're singing it this week, that's awesome. If not, whatever. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. We all thought that of him one time. That's all on our shoulders. We all said he was a criminal. We all said that man's a liar. The only one who didn't lie was called a liar. And he looks at that. And he looks at redemption. He despises the shame. It's like it's nothing to him. So he's the, it's his idea, the Trinity in perfection before the foundations of the earth, hatched it up. And we'll see here in a second even more clearly. He brings it to completion. But man, how much has this become our motivation? I want to be near that guy. I want to be near that God. I want to know that God more. Not so that he will say, I love you more because you've pursued me harder, but because I believe the promises that say, if you draw near to God, he's going to draw near to you. That's just the Bible. It's not hocus pocus. It's the truth. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we've seen this language, if you were with us when we started Hebrews, or you can go home today and you can read Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and you'll see it there. It's an allusion to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is one of the key messianic, beautiful gems of the Old Testament, saying there's somebody who's going to come and God's going to use him to bring uh, peace and order into the world. And, and it has this great line, Yahweh said to Adonai, God said to God, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool to my feet, for your feet, pardon me, Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful messianic song. The Messiah is another Christ. That's a Greek word for Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the the Psalm 1 and 2 man who's going to come and put it right. The one we've been waiting for from Genesis 3 and go on and on. It's all over the place. But Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament verses in the New Testament attached to Jesus as the one who came to be Hamashua, the Messiah. 
Now, this is an allusion to that and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And it's worth saying one more time, and I know I've said it before if you've been with us in those times, uh, this image of seated in Jewish culture means you're done. Conversation over, right? When you have one of those things, uh, you know, like uh, there's that episode of Seinfeld with the shrimp. The ocean called. They're out of shrimp, George. Sit down. Conversation over. Two people got that. I'm trying to find something. I'm, I'm reaching. I'm reaching. I'll use it when I get to bitterness in a couple weeks. George is always the, the sermon illustration for bitterness. <coughs> Excuse me. But it's over. Conversation done. What did Jesus scream from the cross? It is finished. Another way you could render that. Paid in full sat down at the right hand on majesty on high. Your life in him is secure because it's over. Boom, sat down. Everything that needed to happen for the world to get put back the right, right the way it's supposed to be, boom. Everything that needs to happen for you to be glorified and with Jesus forever, boom. It's done. It's finished. It's completed. Salvation is completed when he rose from the dead and rose up into the sky and he ascended to heaven and sat down. We're just waiting to wind the thing down. There's going to be no more Bible because we're just, we got the rest. We got the book of Revelation. It's winding down. Excuse me. Consider. Here's our motivation. So he's done it all. This is his idea. He's done it all. And we'll close this as quickly as we can from here. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What he took on his shoulders. And now, now be careful here. Be careful. This isn't... Put your hands on your hips... I don't know what relative is, but I'm sure somebody did this. Well, you got you to think about what they did for you. And then you get guilted into, oh, consider how he, all these things that happened to him, so I guess I should feel guilty, and I guess if Jesus can take the cross, I can go to mathematics class, I can do calculus. It, it's not that at all. It's look at what he did. Consider him who endured such hostility to set you free. Consider the price that was paid to make you his own. It's a big price. And now you're free. Don't forget about it. Don't forget about it. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding blood. Shedding your blood or bloodshed. There's a seriousness to our sin. It's not that we would fight for joy. And you need to see this. When we talk about the seriousness of sin, you need to weigh this against the seriousness of joy. Okay, like I said, it's not half a thing. It's not I'm not sinning so that I can be good and right and righteous. It's that I'm going to fight and I'm going I'm to do everything I can to get away from my sin so I can get more and more Jesus in an unfettered way. Uh, There's that verse in chapter 5 of Matthew's gospel. Cut off your hand and rip out your eye. And sometimes we'll say, oh, no, 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 no. It's just hyperbole. It's just rhetoric. He didn't really mean it. And so I'm going to say, I think he actually did really mean it. But before you go home and do anything crazy, let me finish my sentence. I think he did mean it. But our problem is if we cut off our hand or if we tear out our eye, we still have our heart. And if our heart is not wired to love and follow God, we can, uh, you might have an objectification problem and you might need to get rid of your iPhone. And if I'm counseling you and you're walking through that, I might say there's a time that you need to get rid of the device that has the internet on it because it's ruining your life and your marriage. You need to get a flip phone. Because the flip phone doesn't have the internet on it. I've got one in my house. You can have it. It's old. (laughs) Very old. But guess what? Your life following Jesus is worth it. But if your heart doesn't change, you can get any kind of phone or any kind of software or somebody looking in on your bank account or whatever, and if your heart isn't, I want Jesus, it will not change because we're crafty on our own. 
I might tell you to get rid of your phone. Because I actually love you and your family more than you should love your phone. I hope you listen. I'm not going to make you do it. I can't make you do anything. But, but I might tell you, you might have to cut off your phone. It's just a phone for goodness. It's just, it's just a telephone for goodness sake. Right? Everything. It's worth laying aside everything to get everything out of the way to get Jesus. And you need to see it's not just about the seriousness of sin, but the seriousness of joy. That when I actually can see Jesus just clearly for just a moment, I know how valuable and how much I should cherish him and love him and how steadfast and true and faithful and wonderful and beautiful and precious he is. Then the relationship that I have with him is precious and wonderful. So all of a sudden, I'm not going to tell you to get up out of bed and read your Bible early so you can check something off the list. If that is the only reason you get in your Bible for quiet time is because the guy up front said so, you're not going to love it. It's not going to speak to you. He might because he's awesome. Sometimes when you're doing things out of religious obligation, sometimes he speaks to you and he saves you from yourself one more time because he's gracious. You get in God's word, the Holy Spirit does stuff even when it's for dead works because <laughs> he's cool. He's awesome. But I'm telling you, I want you in your Bible because I want you to hear from God. I don't get in my Bible. I'm not jealous for time with Jesus so I can cross one more stupid thing off another stupid list. I'm jealous for time with Jesus because I love him. My wife does not feel loved if I'm like, oh, it's date night, so I'm going to set the alarm for 20 minutes and make myself spend 20 minutes with you. The alarm goes off and get back to playing Xbox that does not make my wife feel loved or cherished, right? Get into God's word so God's word will permeate your soul for communion with Christ so you can spend some time with him face to face. Don't you want to see Jesus face to face? Don't you see Jesus today? I do. But man, that timer doesn't work for me anyways. If that's what, if, if you got to get the bus or whatever... Hey, set a timer. Like, I'm not, don't feel, yeah, I set a timer. Do I have to stop it? No. But if that's it, if you're like, there you go, Jesus, there's your 20 minutes. Jesus doesn't want your 20 minutes. He wants your everything. He wants it all. And guess what? He wants it for your joy. When you live your life as a living sacrifice, when you live your life bound up in the reality of God, there's just joy out there. And so the deal isn't me trying to tell you a bunch of stuff to do. It's me saying, hey, there's a party, and you should come. It's a really good party, and Jesus is there. Which is really, really different, by the way. So, yeah, I don't think it's rhetoric. It's not rhetoric. Our war, then, our fight, our battle, it's a war for joy. When we don't believe that, we'll do one of two things. We'll fight a different war, or we'll look for a different joy. We'll set the timer, and we'll fight a war of religion. We'll fight a war of works. We'll fight a war of our own personal ceremonies or whatever, and think that will make us righteous with God. And if that's you, you need to know there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he does if you're a Christian. He wants your joy. Or we don't think he's that valuable. We don't think he's that glorious. We don't think he's that enjoyable. So we while out. We do keg stands or whatever other thing we do. And we miss that the war I'm warring is to get out of my sins so I can get into Jesus. So I can have joy. Let's close down with Philippians 3. I'm just going to read it. And then Joe will come up and we're going to sing. I'm just going to really encourage you. Again, we don't sing because we got to. And the point of communion when we come up and respond is response. See, the Bible says we consider our sin. We consider the things we're hanging on to and clinging to. But when we come up and take this cup, we take it as a celebration. To remember his body broken and bloodshed to pay the price for my sin to give me life. I love Joe. He does such a good job of reminding us that every week this is a celebration. Yeah, you may have some stuff you got to talk to him about. You may have some stuff you need to turn from, but this is a party. It's not like a party party, but it's a party. Philippians. Just as we consider this life 
as we run the race. I want you to hear from Paul. He's a better preacher than I am, so I'll let him close us down. But whatever gain I had, excuse me, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means, by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Now hear this. Hear it. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me, has made me, past tense, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and striving to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, you're God. You are Savior. You are Redeemer. Lord Jesus, God, help us to just turn from our works. Help us turn from anything that we think earns us merit. And may, us, may we turn from those things and turn to you. May we turn from any lesser joy than you. May we turn from any lesser war than the war for joy in you. Turn us, God. Help us, Holy Spirit. Turn us, Change us, move, empower us. We sit here with empty hands wanting more of you. Help us. Come get us. Save us. Move. Bring us joy. Help us to see you. We just want more of you, Jesus. We're just pleading for more of you. We're pleading to be more passionate for you. We're pleading to have more joy in you. We're pleading to trust you more. We're pleading to, to, have more fa- to see you more clearly. To have more faith in that we see more reality. And all these things are a gift from you. And so we sit here with empty hands asking for the gifts that you love to give us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you, Lord. Amen.